we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 31st, 2011, and we're going to continue our uh, current event and weekly Bible study, but this particularly pertains to the insanity of the pseudo-church that we're dealing with right now. This next one I received from Michelle, and it's entitled, More Perversion Running Rampant in the Church Today. Uh, This shows the perfect perversion happening in the church today. The secular music played in the church. Now, we're going to play you excerpts from this video clip. You you won't be able to see it, but this this pastor has a bed up on stage. A bed, like, you know, symbolizing the bedroom and the sex act. That's what he's trying to symbolize here. Uh, He's got a bed set up on stage in the sanctuary. And this is the pastor of the church, and he keeps saying how we need to change our way of thinking, and he goes on to talk about Song of Solomon, and he also says if you get offended, then blame it on the Bible. Uh, And then he says, well, I'm just going to read this and I'll play it. He says, and then you know the kid's song, the B-I-B-L-E, you know, that's the book for me. And then he says, I stand alone in the word of God. And then he says, at the end of that, he says, it's the sexual book for me. You'll hear him say it. That's what he said. Uh, he said it. Um, it's time that we put the church back in the bed and the bed back in the church. And you'll hear him say all this stuff, but I'm just I'm just kind of reiterating some of this letter. So I'm going to go ahead and we're going to roll just two different excerpts from this video, this blasphemous video entitled "Pure Sex." This is part two, spicing up the romance. Now, this is a gigantic trend among the pseudo-Christian, liberal, devil churches. I mean, back at our hometown when we lived in Fort Myers, there was this big billboard up about it, about the, the bedroom and sex and all this other garbage. And again, it's like that pastor's that abomination of a prayer that we, we had heard in the previous study. Um, when you see... When you have secular people looking at that and they think, well, hey, you know, if the church is saying this is okay to act this way and be this guy, I must be in pretty good shape with God. Because the church now is starting to act worse than the world. And that's what happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, uh, they were glorying in their shame. They were doing things that it said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In this particular case, a, a, a man had taken his father's wife and now to, to wed. And they were glorying in this. And it said this, and the Bible essentially says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that this stuff isn't even done in the, in the world or condoned in the world. And you're doing it in the church. And you're glorying in your shame. And you're supposed to turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. I did a whole teaching on that. Turning such an one over to Satan. It's hardly ever, ever talked about in the church anymore. Well, the thing is, is that if they tried to do it now, you'd have to just about turn the whole church over. It, it, but see, that's what happens. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. They said, if you don't do this, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, and it's going to corrupt your whole church. Well, now... The whole church has been thoroughly leavened, for the most part. These 501c3 corporations that call themselves churches, they've just been totally leavened from the pastor on down. I'm not saying every single person, but pretty much. You stay in that environment, you cannot lay down with dogs and not get fleas. You can't go into a pig pen and not get dirty. It's, it's impossible. There is a spiritual... 
transference, I believe, that takes place if you're in a church where there's all this liberality and all this sin and all this garbage, unbiblical garbage going on, it will affect you. And you'll be in it and you won't even see it because you're going to be blinded to it. It's like putting a frog in lukewarm water and you slowly turn it up to a slow boil. By the time it gets to the slow boil, the frog don't even realize what happened to him. It's the same way with these corrupt churches. So, I'm going to go ahead and roll portions of this video here. So, I'm going to just let you hear the intro here, a little bit of the intro. It's, it's some uh, secular song from, I can't, I can't remember it from when I was a little kid. And um, it's entitled, Pure Sex. Spicing up the romance, and this is how they intro the thing. And it shows in in the in this uh, pure sex sign, it shows the feet of two people. Like they're in a bed, and it shows their feet sticking out, and that's what you're actually looking at there. So, you know, it's 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 definitely done in decency and in order, as, as the Bible talks about, and there's nothing inappropriate here. There's nothing outside the boundaries of Scripture. I mean, they don't think there is, but that's how deluded and how sick the pseudo-church has become. Truly glorying in their shame. Now, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go ahead and find this clip here. Okay, well, we're going to roll this first clip. It's only about 36 seconds, I believe. A lot of fun. And uh, because we're going to talk about spicing up the marriage. Amen? Now, I know some of you, we've got this bed up here on stage. And if you weren't here last week, you're over there. I mean, I'm some of you are going, what in the world has he got a bed on the stage? Freaking you out. Let me tell you something. It's time to put the church back in the bed. And the bed back in the church where it's supposed to be. Did you hear what I just said? It's time to bring the bed back into the church and the church back into the bed within the. Yeah, so that was the first quote. Uh, he's got a literal, and it ain't just it's not like some cot he's got up there. It is a elaborate uh, bed that he's got up on stage here. You know, so he wants to, uh, um, you know, portray, you know, he, he wants to make no bones about it, you know, what he's in reference to here. Now, I'm going to go ahead and go to the next clip. Man, you ought to worship your wife or your husband's body. So we ought to worship our husband's wives, or our husband or wife's bodies. Now. Worship. Where where do I get that in, in the in the Bible? Worship? Um I know that the Bible says wife reverence your husbands, husbands love your wives. I don't see anything in there about worshiping their body. What should you do? Set up a shrine to their body? The only one we should be worshiping is Father God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Not even not even holy angels we're not supposed to worship. We're not supposed to worship. This is how deluded this devil is and the kind of advice that he's giving. That God gave to you. You know the scripture actually says that he gave. It, 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 my, my body is my wife's. If you go and read 1 Corinthians, it says my body is my wife's, it's hers, and her body is mine. I kind of like that. <laughs> Honey, mine, mine, mine. All mine. So let's just get this set straight, okay? 
If you're going to be easily offended, then you don't want to read the Word of God. Because we're going to be reading from the book of Song of Solomon this morning. Hello. And if you're offended, blame it on the Bible. Because it's not me. It's the Bible. So in other words, all these this blasphemous garbage he's doing has nothing to do with him. God's sanctioned everything he's doing and saying. It's all the Bible's fault is what he's saying, even though this is totally unbiblical what he's doing. I mean, y'all are turning this morning. I can hear, <laughs> I can, boy, I, I'm so glad. I can hear the, the scriptures turning. But, you know, I mean, it's in the Bible. God created it. You know, and, and it's the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God. It's the sexual book for me. So did you hear that? It's the sexual book for me. He, he twisted and warped that cute little uh, Christian nursery rhyme type like him into something perverted and wicked. We're not supposed to uh, be perverted in 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 uh, uh, you know it gets into the whole thing. We're not supposed to let these types of things come out of our mouth. The Bible says, "Let no corrupt communication proceedeth out of your mouth." I mean, that's blasphemous, what he's doing there. It, it is just flat blasphemous. So, this is, this is just one example. There are so many that I don't even cover that I get from either my research or listeners. or, or I just can't cover them all. Every once in a while, what I'll do, though, is I'll do something like this where we'll kind of put them all together and we'll do a dedicated study to cover a whole bunch of bases. There's just too many subjects to try to uh, get through, and really not enough hours in the day to cover them all. So, going further, this is a uh, an email I received from American Family Association, and it was entitled, Home Depot Truck Promotes Company as Homo Depot. Also advertises the Phillies Premier Lesbian Nightclub. Uh, last month, Home Depot allowed its logo to be changed in order to show support for homosexual agenda, which includes gay marriage. The Home Depot logo on a company truck door, it was on a company truck from Home Depot, was altered to read Homo Depot for the 2011 Philadelphia Gay Pride Parade. And there was a picture of this, but when I copied and pasted it, this into the PDF, it didn't show up. But there are links here you can click into if you want to see it has a whole bunch of homosexuals or whatever they are, bisexual, homosexual, transgender, I don't know, hanging out the window, and they're using their truck. They're sanctioning this stuff. Home Depot let a banner hang from the truck to promote Sisters, the self-proclaimed Philly's premier lesbian nightclub. Lesbian nightclub? I never even heard of that. Anyway, Home Depot also allowed two lesbians to flaunt their homosexuality while riding on a company truck during the parade. Over one half a million people have signed a pledge to boycott the Home Depot until it agrees to remain neutral in the culture and political war over homosexual marriage. I'll never go back there. I don't care if they. I don't care if they do recant. I mean, I I want them to, but I know it's not sincere. (laughs) I know they'd only do it if they had to do it. They'd only do it kicking and screaming. So, to help promote the boycott, AFA has produced the AFA pass along sheet, um, and then it's saying, "Please print copies of the sheet." Now I understand. There's a lot of fish to fry out there. You can't get to everything, 
But this is just one more example of of um, something where if you're not aware of it and you're giving them your business, that can't be pleasing to God. I'm just saying that from a from a spiritual type of standpoint. So I'm I'm just here to make you aware of certain things that are going on. So you know that you're educated about it, and that you're not giving you know these. And now, not to say big big corporations aren't wicked, and and a lot of them maybe um, the majority of big corporations have these types of agendas. But when you get this coming out and in your face stuff. If people don't speak up or do anything about it, well, that essentially tells them, well, it's okay to do this, so we're just going to, now we're really going to go hog wild. And it's going to turn out just like it did in Sodom and Gomorrah, where, I mean, they're just out in the streets, and they're, you know, they're, who knows how it's all going to turn out. But, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What were the days of Lot? Sodom and Gomorrah. It also says as it was in the days of Noah, and that's the one we usually discuss, but as in the days of Lot. Homosexuality, bisexual, transgender, all kind of crazy garbage going on. Just abomination from the pit of hell. It's going to be the norm. So, the um, there's a pledge at boycountthehomedepot.com. This will be on page oh, 6 or 7 of the PDF for 731-2011 on contendingfortruth.com. I try to always give a PDF with every study that we're doing so that you don't have to just take my word for it. You can actually see what we're talking about here. Uh, So, uh, and you can also call the local Home Depot store. And they they give you all the the various things if you so feel led you can do if you want to pursue that further. Next article is a group of Omaha pastors has issued a proclamation that states homosexuality is not a sin. Omaha pastors, you know, a proclamation that states homosexuality is not a sin, even though the Bible clearly indicates it's an abomination to God and it was punishable by a death penalty in the Old Testament. But evidently, they, they feel as though they have a greater authority than the Word of God, that they can... They can um, Speak on God's behalf. Well, they're they're speaking on their God's behalf. That's true. Satan. More than 100 ordained, I'm sure 501c3 corporate Christian ministers, Christian right, have signed the proclamation, including leaders from Lutheran, Episcopalian, United Church of Christ, United Methodist, and Presbyterian churches. David, by by Dilek is an executive director of Family First, the Family Policy Council for the state of Nebraska. And he says, when they come out with this sort of statement, I think they really do not reflect the mainstream feeling in the state of Nebraska. Uh, when we passed our marriage amendment years ago, we had about a 70% who wanted it. In those, uh, 70% of those in Nebraska who opposed gay marriage. I- isn't it pathetic when you've got a secular type of poll? Because that wasn't just a Christian poll. 70% of the populace in general in Nebraska at the time of that opposed gay marriage, and now you got got 100 pastors coming out saying that it's not a sin. That, that's almost incomprehensible to think about. When the secular move, when the secular people just your regular Joe 
70% of the time in a given state says, no, it's that's not right. they got enough sense in their head to know that. And the pastors are so deluded and so liberal and so demon-infested that they say it's not a sin, even though the Bible clearly indicates it is an abomination. Probably a lot of these guys, these hundred ordained Christian ministers, are, are homosexuals themselves. And that's why they come out and say that. See, they want to be able to come out of the closet and not have to worry about any repercussions. Well, they're going to have to worry a whole lot when they die. I would not want to be in their shoes. But when Christians take a stand to support traditional marriage, traditional biblical teaching on this issue, the Family First Executive Director laments that they're often perceived as bigots or homophobes. Oh, well, whatever. Label me. I could care less, personally. They label me. They already have. (laughs) I've been attacked by many. It's not going to stop me. All it does is strengthen my resolve. That's all it does. Meanwhile, creators of the proclamation argue the document displays full acceptance of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. So, the creators of this document, these, these hundred ordained ordained by the state, and that's a whole other issue. Well, i got to go to the state to get my preaching license so I can get ordained. And i got to go to college to get ordained so they can go and brainwash me and teach me that the Bible, that, that there's all these underlying Greek and, and Hebrew that are much better translations than the King James Bible and get me to doubt the Word of God and to be taught by liberal professors in, in Bible cemeteries, I mean seminaries, that totally ruin the faith of the pastors, and they get out of there, and they're twice the children of hell, as the Bible describes. That's what they are. The, you know how Jesus Christ talked about that? They go about, they go about both sea and land to, find, to make one convert, and he turns out to be twice the child of hell they are? Why? Why, why do they do that? Well, I can explain it why. Let's go to Romans 1. And it explains it very clearly in Romans 1 why. Now I'm not saying every seminary is all from the pit of hell. But I'm saying most of them do more to ruin the faith of these pastors than they do anything else. And turn them into lukewarm, uh, backboneless servants to the state. Get your preaching license. Where does it say that in the Bible? That you've got to go to the government to get a preaching license or, or to be a pastor. Did Jesus Christ do that? Did any of the apostles do that? No. There's no biblical precedence whatsoever. What right would the state have to tell you that you can preach the word of God? And they sanction you to preach. That's an abomination. We're, you, you already know that the, the, especially the way the laws are moving, they're totally against the Bible. It gets worse every day. All the biblical, ungodly garbage they're foisting on this populace. Here's why. I can tell you why. And this is talking about, basically, about homosexuals and, and lesbians and these types of things. At the end of um, Romans 1... Here's why they would want to make a convert twice the child of hell as they are. It says it right here. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, 
but have pleasure in them that do them. Why? Well, misery loves company. That's why the homosexuals love it when, when they get, make converts. That's why they love it. Makes them feel better about themselves. Because they're living like the devil. They're on their way to hell and they want to take as many people with them as possible. The demons inside them do. That's what they want. Only stands to reason, right? But this proclamation document displays full acceptance of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgendered people. Full acceptance of these hundred ordained pastors. Next article. Gay, pseudo-Christian, emergent Christian church festivals. Abomination in the woods with gay, tattooed, and liberal heathen. This is in Shakori Hills, North Carolina. I don't even know what that, that's at. But, uh, at least 25 Christian, mu- Christian music festivals are held in the summer each year. But they have never catered, uh, but they have never catered for theological liberals. Theological liberals. There's no such thing. They're just heretics. Reprobates. Apostates. There's no such thing as a theological liberal. Call them what they are. But this is, this is, a, uh, this is a secular article here. Until this year, though, that is, when the Wild Goose Festival, named after a Celtic symbol for the Holy Spirit, kicked off on June 23rd on 72, uh, 72 wooded acres of eastern North Carolina, not so far from the intellectual hub of Raleigh-Durham. The idea, seven years in the making, was based on Britain's Greenbelt Film Festival, or Greenbelt's Festival, in Cheltenham, which draws 20,000 people a year. About 1,500 people came to the American version, which explicitly pitched its appeal to artists and musicians, nonconformists, post-Christians, they never were Christian, and non-Christians, disaffected evangelicals, and a liberal evangelical subset known as the Emergent Church. Now, you heard me talk about the Emergent Church many times. Probably the best website resource for exploring the Emergent Church, which is a vast subject. I have covered bits and pieces, but not the whole thing, obviously. There's no way you could do it all. Is Lighthouse Trails Research. I believe it's LighthouseTrailsResearch.com. Or just key in Lighthouse Trails Research on your search bar, and you'll find it. And they've got a good search button if you want to search for anything like Rick Warren or Brian McLaren or whoever you're looking for. And it'll show you. And they've got a free newsletter, too, that they send out on, I think, a weekly basis. With which every, It's not like you're going to get some every day. Just like if you sign up for my newsletter, I'm not going to bombard you with, with emails. I might sometimes send out two or three days in a row maximum if there's something breaking. But no, usually no more than two to three emails a week from me. <clears throat> anyway... And if you want to sign up for that, it's on the right-hand side of contendingfortruth.com. And it's free. So, going further, uh, this is about the emergent church. This is, this is, the, this is like a, uh, a place for people in the emergent church to go gather, a little safe haven for them. Instead of Bible studies at this festival, there were labyrinth walks. Now, the labyrinth walks are this new age garbage that I believe had its roots in Catholicism. 
contemplative, mystic Christianity. Uh, and then you've got, instead of praise and worship music, there was hymn singing in a beer garden. And a bluegrass liturgy presided over by a tattooed female Lutheran minister. That must have been really special. Mega hallmark moment there. A bluegrass liturgy presided over by a tattooed female Lutheran minister. Visitors were greeted with buckets of water to, in which to baptize themselves and tubs of mud to remind them that thou art of the dust. It's just blasphemy after blasphemy after blasphemy. God has to judge this sooner or later. He's got to. It's his character to judge wickedness. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. But there comes an end to it. It's amazing to me he hasn't already done it. And judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. So, I can't even imagine. Lecture topics range from sex trafficking and social justice to authority in the church and interfaith relations. Oh, I bet you that authority in the church was all about how women need to be the ones totally in control of the church every aspect. Probably. Something like that. And I'm not saying that to be chauvinistic. I'm just saying because... You know, obviously, they would want to have, well, probably lesbian women. I mean, hey, it was a, a tattooed female Lutheran minister there. But probably a lesbian woman being the pastor of your church. I mean, that's about as bad as it would get, you know, as far from a biblical standpoint. And it wasn't, wasn't it that we had just reported on in a Tex Mars thing? Three lesbian pastors officially received into the Lutheran church. Can you imagine sitting yourself under a lesbian pastor? I can't even, I mean, you know, how unbiblical can you possibly get? It's just like, it almost reminds me of, if you would do something like this, how bad can you shake your fist at God and defy Him? Because that's what you're doing. You know, you may you may think that, you're just being independent and doing this or doing that, but you're shaking your fist at God. You are defying Him. Going further. So, visitors could learn from Tom Prasadareo, a singer, how to chant Om, like Om, you know, they do meditation, and Hallelujah Hare Krishna. That's how you, you could learn from this singer guy, how to do that, or hear from Paul Fromberg, a pastor from San Francisco, which is always a good sign, talking about his 2005 wedding to another man. Isn't that special? I mean, the guy's gotten married to another man and he's a pastor. And he says, quote, God is changing the church through the bodies of gay men. End of quote. God. No, Satan. God's sending you strong delusion that you will believe a lie, that you will be damned, who received not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is all taking pleasure in unrighteousness. Every bit of this garbage. Mr. Fromberg, the, the gay pastor, told a pack session, he told that pack se session on human sexuality. 
It would be like Satan giving a class on human sexuality, essentially. Also under discussion was religious multiple belonging. In other words, belonging to a clutch of different faiths all at the same time. Now, I must admit, I, I do that. I, I'm, I'm all kind of stuff, you know, Hindu, Buddhism, Mormonism, Jehovah. I'm, I'm all that. You know, I like that clutch feeling of belonging to multiple faiths simultaneously. You know, It's a little bit confusing because there's so many cults with so many different belief systems, but hey, I, I pulled it together somehow. But can you imagine this? Obviously, I'm being sarcastic, but I mean... <laughs> But see, that's going to be the essence of the coming one world religion. Belonging to a clutch of different faiths at the same time. See, to a certain extent, in order to really embrace the coming one world religion, you're going to have to embrace all faiths. So see, this concept here is very important in order for the new world order religious system to come into play. That concept of belonging and identifying and respecting other abominable religious cults, belief systems, and taking them on as your own. It's very important to them. Several disillusioned evangelical leaders attended as well. One was good old Jay Baker, the son of Jim and Tammy Baker of the defunct Praise the Lord TV network fame, who gave meandering talks on growing up a fundamentalist right. Baker stated that blasphemous ministry, started the blasphemous ministry called One Punk Under God. Now, I've reported on him before, and I give you the teaching where I've reported on him. I mean, I talked about a lot of things this teaching. It was a long time ago when I used to, like, just do a ton of stuff in, like, one gigantic teaching, like, three hours long, uh, before I start breaking things up. Yeah, but his ministry, you know, he's covered in tattoos, he has a whole ministry that, that really caters to uh, gays and lesbians and, and this type of stuff. And uh, he has this ministry called One Punk Under God. But, I mean, he's, he's a logical fit for this, for this place, for this uh, abomination of a festival. And then Frank Schaefer, who has made a career out of criticizing his evangelical parents. Now, we're going to talk about him a little bit later. Actually, I don't know how far we're going to get in this study but if it's this week or next week, we're going to talk about Frank Schaefer some more. But he has made a career out of criticizing his evangelical parents, Francis and Edith Schaefer, uh, called the Bible Bronze Age Mythology. That's what good old Frank Schaefer said, Bronze Age Mythology. And confessed he had a conflicted ambivalence about abortion. You know, he, he likes it deep down, he likes abortion. He knows it's morally wrong, but he likes it. That's, that's his conflicted ambivalence. The promoters of this event hope that the emergent cohort will rise from the ashes of an evangelicalism. I, you know, that's what's going to happen. I mean, I don't mean to agree with devils, but it is what's going to happen. This emerging church, this emerging one world religion, um, out of the ashes of this pseudo-Christian evangelicalism, you're going to have this emergent church arise, and it's going to meld with all the other religions. The promoters of this event hope that the emergent cohort will rise from the ashes of evangelicalism, as 78-year-old 
Phyllis Tickle, author of several books on emergent Christianity, put it, quote, We're at the start of a 500-year upheaval in the culture and in the church. 500 years. Where does she get that number? Why didn't she pick like 389 or 427? Something like that. We're at the start of a 500-year upheaval? What an asinine statement that is. In culture and in church. Most evangelicals do not view the emergence so kindly, though. Hmm. How sad. The few conservatives at the festival privately complained that the panels were stacked with liberals and that issues dear to them, such as abortion, were neglected. Now, when I read that last statement, I think I was more floored than anything else that I had read. Because I'm thinking, the few conservatives? What on God's green earth were you doing there in the first place? The only reason I can see going there, I'd go there to pray, to come against wickedness. <laughs> I would not go there to yoke up, that's for sure, or to participate in anything. <laughs> These few deluded conservatives were really mad because there's just so many liberals and there's, there's just, there's no condemning of abortion or anything like that. What were you doing there in the first place? You out of your minds? Mainline Protestants, however, seem delighted by the festival. Oh, good, good, good. There's nothing in there to offend. I mean, obviously. Come on. Uh, Mainline Protestants, however, seem delighted by the festival and may well latch on to the emergence to shore up their shrinking numbers. Of course, because see, there's a mass exodus out of pseudo-Christianity. It's too boring. You know, you got the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the Methodists and Church of Christ and Episcopalians and these types of things. It's kind of boring. So what we got to do? We got to get our numbers up, right? It's all about building big churches and making lots of money. Come on, I mean, that's biblical, right? Well, hey, the mainline Protestants were going there to scope things out. They weren't. They were delighted by the festival. They, they're, they're glorying in their shame. There's no problem here. And they're going to latch on to this emergent Christianity to shore up their shrinking numbers. Bring them in. Yeah, hey, we'll embrace this stuff. We'll do anything. We'll sell our soul to Satan in, in order to get our numbers up. We don't care. We don't care if we burn in the lake of fire for eternity. That's no big deal to us. That's what they're saying to God. Talk about no fear of God whatsoever. None. Not even a hint. They have no wisdom. They have no wisdom or understanding or true knowledge at all. They're devoid of it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. and understanding, and knowledge. But they have none. Let me read you this portion of scripture I just read yesterday. I've really tried to up my scripture reading lately. I mean, as things get more wicked, and with these topics that I get into, it's really important, I feel like, for us to be in the Bible more all the time, and memorizing scripture. What I kind of started doing more is, is yeah, I, I know some scripture, but 
what I'm doing now is I'm going through the Bible, and I'm actually, I've got one Bible that's highlighted from front to back. I mean, multiple, multiple times, main notes and all this other stuff in it. And then I've got uh, other Bibles, and I just, I'm reading them, and I'm highlighting them kind of again, and I'm putting little marks on the verses that I get convicted to memorize. And what I do is I go back, and I try, and I, I go back, and I repeat them. Every time I'm going in the Bible, I'm going back a page or two, and I'm looking at those, those verses that I check, kind of checked off, and I'm repeating them, and saying them out loud over and over and over and over, and eventually you just get to memorize them. You know, I memorized five verses in the last four or five days just doing that. I mean, to the point where I'm not going to forget them. Now, you have to keep going over them, particularly if you initially memorize them, because it depends how good your memory is. I don't have, like, a photographic memory. Okay, but my memory's decent. But it's a good way to incorporate scripture memorization into Bible reading. And you don't always have to do that. You don't always have to always put, like, that pressure on yourself where i got to memorize a scripture every time I read. But it should be, if it's part of some type of daily routine, and I'm trying to get in the Bible multiple times per day now, not just in the morning, but I'm talking about, like, if I'm on the internet, I'm like, and I'm like, you know, my head immersed in this garbage. What I'm trying to do is, is I'll click out of there, I'll go to Blue Letter Bible online, King James, and I'll read like, a psalm, or a proverb, or a, or a part of the New Testament, or something, a chapter. And then I'll go back and do my work, okay, or whatever I got going on. And then, maybe a little while later, I go back, and I read another chapter. And I'm, it's just really good. Because the Bible, literally, it's like feeding the Holy Spirit inside you. It's, it's, um... It just increases your your faith, your 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 Christianity in general. And the Bible talks about the washing of the water of the Word, and that the Word cleanses us and sanctifies us and purifies us. And we need that now more than ever, because things are so wicked and so evil. And people that don't do it end up getting into this kind of garbage that we're talking about. Now, I'm not saying you get into it like right off the bat. This is people that, that these extreme examples that I'm giving today, it, it takes years, I believe. A lot of these people I just truly believe are just wicked, evil people. They're just wicked, evil. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're who the Bible talks about in First Jude, that certain men crept in unawares, who were before of ordained to this condemnation. They were vessels of wrath, fitted, as it talks about in Hebrew. Fitted means prepared aforetime. They were vessels of wrath, fitted for God's destruction. They were made, and I don't understand that concept really. That's between, that's that's God's deal. I don't quite understand it, but it's in the word of God, and that's good enough for me. They were fitted, prepared aforetime for God's destruction. The Bible says the wicked go astray from the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. I don't quite understand that. But the Bible's very clear on it. And the parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, in the Bible. Let the wheat grow up with the tares. I think the tares are the ones that are mostly, mostly at the heads of the churches now. Well, if you were saved, where would you put your, your um, army? Would you... 
put them where they could do the least amount of influence and, and least amount of damage to the church, or would you put them where they could do the maximal amount of damage to the church? What better position to be than, than that of higher church hierarchy type of deal, you know? Pastors, bishops, elders, deacons. And it's even better when they're, when they're lesbians and gays. I mean, that's even, you know. Talk about being flagrant and out in the open with stuff. But let me, let me read you this, um, this portion of scripture that talks about wisdom. And knowledge and understanding and, and, and to kind of drive it home to you. I'm just going to read you portions of this because it, it's, it's a long chapter. It's chapter 8 of Proverbs. It's a pretty long chapter, but it says, Doth not wis-. Now remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, understanding, knowledge. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him, and he delivereth them. There's more blessings connected with fear of the Lord in the Bible than any other thing. Well, I don't have it. Well, then pray for it. Simple as that. Pray for it. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? Do you think there's a lack of wisdom and understanding in in today's world in general? And also, particularly in emphasizing the pseudo-Christian church that we're talking about today? I would say so. Is fear of God ever taught? No. He's the big guy in the sky. He's the heavenly bellhop. He, he's not mean. He's, he's, ever, he's all love. He's not, he's not going to do anything bad to me. I can live like the devil devil, and, and do whatever I want. That's what my pastor taught me. Well, you're following a man. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and, make, and that maketh flesh his arm and his heart departeth from the Lord. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places. By the way in the places of the paths, she crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O ye simple, understand wisdom. And ye fools, be ye of understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness, and there is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. See, when you find truth, if you're not under total demonic oppression where it's, you're blinded, then all the words of, the mouth, of, of my mouth, meaning wisdom, are righteousness, and there's nothing proud in them, and they are plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. I mean, a lot of the stuff like that me or, or other ministers or whatever get into, a lot of this stuff is not like rocket science. This stuff today, I'm not making this stuff up. It's going on. There's a link to every single thing I reported on today, essentially. Or there's verification that could be gotten. And I try to always give the PDF so you can get that verification. You don't got to be a brain surgeon to understand this stuff. It's plain. It's obvious. It can be backed up. It can be verified. And the Bible predicted it was going to be this way. They're plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. 
Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that, that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. Prudence. Like being prudent and discerning and not just jumping into things, thinking things out, comparing it with the Word of God. Wisdom dwells with prudence. And find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That's another thing the fear of the Lord is. That's an attribute of the fear of the Lord. To hate evil. I don't know about you, but I hate all this garbage that I've just reported on. I despise it. It's an abomination to God. David said, I hate them with a perfect hatred. Now, I'm not saying go around and be all hateful, okay? I'm saying to hate evil, though, is biblical. Not to necessarily hate the people. Because you have to understand, it's easy to get your eyes focused on the person that the evil is being perpetuated through. But we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes and principalities and these types of things, against spiritual wickedness. That's where our true battle is. So it's really easy to get our eyes on a group or a person. It's all the Catholics. It's all the Zionists. It's just the Illuminati. No, no, no. Who's in charge of them? Satan and the fallen angels. That's who they're working through. They're just merely earthly organizations who they're working through. Who's at the top of the food chain? Satan and the fallen angels. We don't want to get our eyes off that. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy. And the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine, sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rules and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me. Do you love wisdom? Do you love knowledge? Do you love understanding? Because most people don't. Most people don't love it. They don't want it. It's uncomfortable to them. I love them that love me. Who's saying this? Wisdom. Understanding. It's the context of this verse. And those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. See, not necessarily, it doesn't mean, because somebody's rich, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wicked. Now the Bible, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man entering the kingdom of God. Why? Because a rich man's strong tower is his wealth. That's what he runs to when times get bad. But see, God... Jesus Christ wants to be your strong tower that you runneth to in times of trouble. Is it possible to be rich and still be a born-again Christian? Obviously, yes. But you have to have your priorities straight. Riches and honor are with me and durable riches and righteousness. But that's to the person that has their priorities and their thinking rooted in the Bible. 
I always think, I look around and I'm thinking, all this garbage people blow money on. And I'm thinking, man, that money could do so much good for like widows and orphans and missions and feed the hungry and print Bibles. And that's what my mind tends to gravitate to when I see money that's being blown for no good reason. And so much of it goes on in America. I mean, my dad was a classic example of that. I mean, that guy blew... I thought, man, if you would have just saved your money and just lived, tried to live in a reasonable house and not blown all that money on all your toys and all your gadgets and having to have bigger and better everything, I don't even want that stuff. The more you get, the more of a bondage it becomes. And the more of, a, of upkeep you've got to worry about. And I'll be honest with you right now, I, I got more stuff than I even want. I got stuff I'm, I don't even want. It's, it's, it's up, there's upkeep involved. It's like a ball and chain. It'll be really nice regarding heaven because all of that's going to be taken care of. There's not going to be any worrying about upkeep on things. And, you know, the Bible says the world waxeth old as doth a garment. Meaning things are always getting older. They're always, you know, if it's outside, the sun's eating it up. Or if it's, you know, there's always maintenance that needs done on things. And the more stuff you have, the more responsibility you have. And the less time you have, a lot of times, for the things of God. I'm not saying all possessions are bad. I'm just saying in general. You have a lot of stuff. It's just, it's maddening. It never ends. My parents were a great example of that. I mean, when my dad passed away, it was unbelievable. All the stuff we had to throw away. And I've seen some of these shows, like, you know, where they go in and, and these guys that are like, um, people that are like collectors and hoarders. And, and I'm thinking, what garbage? It, it, what good is this going to do you when you plunge into hell? Why don't you sell it and, and, and give the money, I mean, move into maybe a smaller house, live simpler, which will probably be happier. It's like this keeping up with the Joneses garbage. I, I just, I don't understand it. I don't want it. I really don't. The, the longer I'm a Christian, the less I want material stuff. Yes, I want to be prepared for worst case scenario. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, and the, but the simple pass on the punish. The Bible says, go to the ant. The ant gathers her food in summer, so it has plenty to eat in winter. I'm paraphrasing. But that's essentially what the Bible says. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But man, I mean, people, it's just crazy. What the secular world, the mostly secular, of course, now you've got preachers and pastors that fly around in jets, and have $20,000 toilets like Joyce Meyer. And drive around in Bentleys and limousines and all this other garbage. And have these multi-mega million dollar churches. 501c3 corporate whores is all they are. So they can build some big kingdom and build some big following. I don't want to build a big... I, I tell people, that don't follow me. I'm just a man. I can fail you. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. I know I'm not giving you bad advice telling you to do that. I know that. 
goes on to say, My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness and in the midst, midst of the pass of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. The Bible does say the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. I think those days are coming too. I think God is seeking people who will be um, obedient to do with whatever God gives them to be faithful to do that so that they can help other people. When the Bible talks about New Testament giving, it's always talking about it in the frame and the context of helping people in the church. I did a whole teaching on the subject. It's the New Testament uh, giving compared to Old Testament Levitical tithe, which was totally a Levitical Jewish thing. Okay? The Bible says, As a man of purpose in his heart, so let him give. For the Lord loveth the cheerful giver. That's how I, when I look at material things and I look at big, I mean, I look at all this money that the government spends on worthless garbage. Oh, we gotta launch another rocket into space. When there's people starving all over the world. And people dying of different diseases. Well, no, they gotta kill them off. They're useless eaters. We gotta reduce world population to 500 million according to Georgia Guidestones. Or at least 66% according to other New Age guidelines. That's, you know, that's billions and billions of people. Got to do that some way. So they make sure that whatever money is being put into these governmental programs, like the vaccine programs and the supposed whatever programs they're doing, these health World Health Organization programs, that that's not doing anything to save lives, but actually killing them. that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. In other words, God actually created wisdom and understanding. Now that's kind of hard to understand. Isn't it? That's like hard to like comprehend because God is wisdom and understanding. But it's, it's almost as though he created these entities like wisdom and understanding. Or, or, I don't know. I can't really comprehend it. But it says, I was set up from everlasting. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no foundations abounding in the water. This is before the earth was created, in other words. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. Wow, that's really cool. (laughs) While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. (laughs) Praise the Lord, man. That don't get you fired up your woods wet. That's enough to make a Presbyterian run the aisles. Sorry, I lost control. Anyway, when, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. Wisdom and understanding. I don't know, man. That just gets me fired up reading that. That is so cool. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, 
when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass the commandment, his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. These are all things God did when he was creating the earth. Then I was by him as one brought up with him and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Do you realize when you get to heaven, you're actually, I, I, there's, there's going to be some type of spirit entity, I don't know, called wisdom, that we can actually interact with, evidently. Because he said he was created. Now listen, don't, don't, don't try to get into some big theological debate with me about this. I'm just, I'm just saying what the Bible states here. Okay, obviously there's, there's ways you could, this is open for interpretation of, of a way that you might perceive that God may do this. Okay, I'm, I'm not saying that, that I've got the be-all, end-all interpretation of how this may all happen. But it's clear that wisdom and understanding were actually something that God created. And he is the author of it. Rejoicing in the habitable habitable part of the earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and whoso and shall obtain favor of the Lord. This is all, this is all good to me. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is all good. Regarding being a Christian, there's no, there's no, there's no drawbacks here. There's a drawback if you turn your back on wisdom. And I'm going to give you that right here. But he that sinneth against me, wrongeth his own soul, all they that hate me love death. That's the most profound statement of the whole chapter. All they that hate me doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? That's the first verse in this chapter. Doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? That's the first verse, so that's the context of the verse. Last verse. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, and all they that hate me love death. People that have no no use for truth or wisdom in the most deceptive time that the world has ever known, where Jesus Christ said over and over again, be not deceived regarding the end times, that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect, according to Matthew 24, 24, Don't you think that's the one thing we really want to key on is not being deceived? Well, what is the only thing that keeps you from not being deceived, essentially? Walking in wisdom and understanding and truth and knowledge. All that hate me, meaning wisdom and understanding, love death. All these people that are in lukewarm, pseudo-Christian churches like we were just talking about, essentially what the Bible's saying is that they love death. They're on their way to hell. Death and hell. Hell is death. It's the essence of death apart from Christ. Just, I I read that last night and I was like, man, that's profound. 
It's the Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom, essentially. You know? Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. So, anyway, that's just something I wanted to go over. Um, actually, I wasn't even planning on doing that. I read the whole chapter. But isn't that cool? Man, I love that. Praise the Lord. I mean, a lot of times we emphasize so much negative, I understand, in these teachings. And I really wish it didn't have to be that way. It's not like I want to go around marking everyone the cause, division, and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. You know, as the Bible says we we're supposed to do in Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. But it's my calling. As a watchman, I'm supposed to do that. These people are deceiving other people. And I feel as though it's my duty to warn others so that they're not deceived. Okay, let's try to finish this part here. This is entitled, TBN's Leader's Spiritual Blindness. Uh, This is from um, Friday Church News Notes, wayoflife.org, David Cloud. On October 17th, 1989, now I understand this is a little bit dated, this goes to show you how far back we can go into the past and see, it's just not like this little aberration of apostasy that occurred last month. This stuff's been building for a long time. and Which I think makes this even more powerful, what I'm about ready to say. October 17, 1989. Man, I was just two years out of high school then. Paul and Jan Crouch welcomed three Catholics to their Praise the Lord program. Now, I've turned that on, and I've seen Catholics on the stage with them. Nuns and Catholics. It's almost as though, you know, they have got these nuns and Catholics sitting in the background there. And it's almost as though it's like this unholy stamp of approval. Like, look at us. We're so with it. We're we're even accepted by the Catholic Mother Church. Because... We Protestants came out of the Catholic whore. Because we were protesting what was going on there. And that's why they call them Protestants. Paul and Jan Crouch. And again, a good book on that is um, The Faithful Baptist Witness by Dr. Phil Stringer. Now, again, to me, it's not a Baptist issue. It's an issue of... Where did the true church that started in Antioch, where they were first called Christians, according to Acts, where did that first true church start, and where did it go after that happened? It wasn't the Protestants, I'm telling you. That, they came out of the Catholic Church. That's why they got so much baggage to this day, and, and why they're getting ready to go back into the mother whore. I'm not saying the Baptists are perfect either. Okay, but this shows you the lineage of the true Christians, and what Bible they used. And it wasn't the Catholic Bibles that spawned all these false versions we've got today. It was a totally different line. Byzantine majority text, Texas Receptus, is what spawned the King James Bible. So it, it is a big deal. Dr. Phil Stringer, he's a really good speaker and a very good writer. And it's an, his books are easy to read, too. They're not like... You know, high and lofty, all this huge grammatical, linguistic, you know, things that you don't even understand. You have to have like a dictionary right there to understand the book or something. Personally, I can't stand it when people write that way. 
Because most people aren't going to understand a lot of those big words. I'm not saying I don't understand. I've always kind of prided myself on, on a, a lot of those really complicated, convoluted words. But a lot of people aren't going to understand that if you write that way. And you're just going to lose them and they're going to get frustrated. They're not even going to want to read your article. So, that's just me though. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying personally. That's how I feel about it. Uh, <clears throat> Paul and Jan Crouch welcomed three Catholics to their Praise the Lord program, two priests and a woman by, and a lay leader. Uh, Paul displayed his usual naivete, yeah, naivete, and incredible ignorance of theology by smoothing over any differences between Protestants and Catholics. It's simply matters of semantics. Good old Paul Crouch that had a homosexual affair with Lonnie Ford, his gay black limo driver. And that's been proven. Okay, it was a gigantic cover-up on TBN. You weren't going to hear it on TBN. Tried to pay the guy off. Okay, but I don't think the guy the, the guy wanted more money than he was willing to pay. So it ended up all coming out. I mean, we're talking a sick, sick devil at the head of a sick, sick ministry. TBN. If the foundation's destroyed, what can the righteous do? You got the head of a ministry being warped and perverted. You can't expect the ministry to turn out good. In his eager embrace of transubstantiation, a heresy so great that thousands died at the stake rather than accept it. Now, transubstantiation, Catholic thing, okay? What does that mean? Transubstantiation essentially means that when the Catholics do their whole thing with the Catholic communion host and the wine. They believe that their respective priests have the literal power to literally transform the body and blood of Jesus Christ into the Catholic communion host and the wine. And I don't mean symbolic, I mean literal. That's the doctrine of transubstantiation. Okay? So, Paul, in his... Well, Paul Crouch, in his eager embrace of transubstantiation, a heresy so great that thousands died at the stake rather than accepting it. I mean, there were martyrs by the thousands and millions that the Catholic Church made martyrs. But we're willing to just overlook all that now. You know, that's just a little bit of, of you know, water under the bridge now. We'll, 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 that, that devil cult should have been banned and wiped off the face of the planet from its very inception. But, it's still around, and um, it's probably going to get more powerful than ever with the things that are coming in the future as far as just the one world religion goes. So, in regard to transubstantiation, Paul Crouch says, Well, we Protestants believe the same thing. Thank you, Paul Crouch, for speaking on behalf of everyone. I love it when people do that, when they make, like, Blanket statements that just apply to everybody on planet Earth. You know? No, we don't, you devil. I don't believe that. And there's a ton of other people that don't believe it either. So don't speak on my behalf. Then he goes on to say, we Protestants believe the same thing. So you see, one of these things that has divided us all these years, transubstantiation, shouldn't have divided us at all. Um. Uh, all along, because we were really meaning the same thing, but just saying a, just saying it a little differently. 
And then he goes on to say, I am eradicating the word Protestant, even out of my vocabulary. I am not protesting anything anymore. In other words, he's in full agreement, union, and compliance with this devil Catholic death cult that's just taking people to hell by the millions. And is probably responsible for, for more martyrs dying than any other institution on the planet. I mean, Christian, Bible-believing Christian martyrs, I should say. I'm not, pro- and he goes on to say, I'm not protesting anything anymore. It is time for Catholics and non-Catholics to come together as in one spirit and in one Lord. End of quote. Going further, but Catholics have a different gospel of salvation by works and ritual through the essential meditation of that church. And I've done many, many teachings on Catholicism, just key in that word and the search box on continuefortruth.com. He goes on to say, this is dated news, but it's extremely timely and relevant all the same. The charismatic movement and its experience and emotion-based ecumenicism is one of the adhesives of end-time apostasy. Another is contemporary Christian music. It is a un- and we've just been discussing that, and I hopefully will get back to that hidden Luciferians in Christian culture where we're going to pick up. But we just had some other things come up here that I wanted to get to as well, and I think we're going to be able to segue back to that, Lord willing, um, in the next not probably next week, but mm, I don't know anywhere from probably three to four weeks. Anyway, uh, that's why it's so hard for me to just stay on one subject. There's just too many things always coming up that uh, to just focus on one thing is tough. Let's go further. Another is contemporary Christian music. It is a unifying factor that is not founded on sound doctrine. One of the great sins and errors of modern evangelicalism is its silence in the face of such things. How many influential evangelicals have reproved Paul Crouch and TBN publicly? Probably very, very few. Reproving sin and heresy is not shooting at people. Uh, It is an act of love for God and his truth, and it is an act of compassion towards those that are being led astray. See, the thing is, is they're the ones in the wrong. Paul and Jan Crouch and a lot of these mega-millionaire ministers, they're the ones taking people to hell. But yet, if I, if I point that out, if I point out the obvious, I'm the bad guy. I'm the witch hunter. I'm the heretic hunter. As Paul Crouch would, would say. And as I'm labeled up on the internet. Oh well, sorry. Prove me wrong. I wish you would. But the thing is, is what I report on generally is well-documented stuff. Actual quotes. Actual actions. Stuff they've admitted to. You can't refute stuff like that. And I give you the links and all the other things if you want to explore it further. So again, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.17. So let's go further. Uh... We are commanded to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints, according to Jude 3. Spiritual pacifism and reproving sin and error and generalities might broaden your ministry and support base, but it won't get the job done for full-orb truth in this dark world. 
can't put. You know, it's just, we need to just stick to our guns, is what it boils down to. Truth is truth, right is right, wrong is wrong. You know? And people that are being led into hell through reprobate ministries like this need to be warned. If you were in a burning building and, and you didn't know it was even burning, of course that's I'm a hard concept to understand, what do you want to be warned though? Well, I didn't want to step on any toes. Okay, so you would rather see him go to hell. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that to condemn people. I know I've dropped the ball in the past. No, I have. Okay? So I'm not condemning you or holding you to higher accountability than I would hold myself. But we want to warn people. We want to love them enough to tell them the truth. Um, Alright, I'm going to go ahead and end part two there. And um, Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and end part two there. We'll go to part three next. God bless you. Uh, yeah, I just looked at the amount of information that I'm going to have to get into to cover the Norway shooter because it's going to segue into some other subjects. And it's literally a whole other teaching. Um, we've already done over two hours on this particular teaching. So I'm going to leave this until next week and we'll get into that. And um, uh, that's probably going to be a de- almost a dedicated teaching on the Norway shooter and the implications regarding that. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll just end this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and all you've given us, Lord, all of your goodness and your mercy, Lord. I do pray that uh, your word and your truth would go forth, that, Lord God, that you would bless wherever your word or your truth is being preached worldwide, Lord, that you would forgive us for any and all sins we've committed as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And that, Lord God, you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that you would use the body of Christ mightily for your glory, um, and that many souls would be saved as a result of those efforts. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.